Guys, uh, two quick things. Um, of course, one has to do with uh, Gigi. If you haven't heard that little acronym, it's Growth and Grace Institute, and it does uh, march on uh, next Saturday. We'll, um, we'll talk about how to be happy though married. Um, I'll tell you what, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm not the best counselor in the world. I actually, not a very good one at all, but I had been married for 46 years, which, which will help a little. So j- just consider it, <clears throat> consider it free counseling. Um, and your attendance there does not necessarily mean that your marriage is bad. Uh, and we will, uh, we will make sure that everybody knows that when you sneak in. So come be with us Saturday morning, and we're going to talk about uh, this. And, and you might wonder why marriage in a discipleship program. Well, if you ask that question, that's because you're not married. Um, because if you're married, you know why it's in a discipleship program. But uh, come be with us next Saturday. And then f- the other thing has to do with tomorrow and, and the coming week, Vacation Bible School. Gang, I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, although I am dramatic. Um, but I can almost assure you things are going to be hard this week. Um, 500 kids with this incredible effort that's been put forth. By the way, if you, if you normally leave out these doors, just, just take enough time to walk over here and look down uh, the hall at the uh, decorations that have been made. Natalie Vaughn has a decorating crew. And I, you just need to see it. I mean, um, I mean, you can't imagine the man hours that have gone into simply decorating the place for these 500 kids. So, so you're not going to be involved, are you? Okay, fine. I got it. Would you pray? Would you pray that, um, that God will allow us to get in and out with this nasty construction out here and then um, that good things, eternal things would happen during this coming week? It's... Um, it's a big week, and it's a lot of hard-working women and men. Hope you'll um, remember them this week. Now, uh, something else that marches on is our study of the book of Hebrews. So you follow as I read. The next passage up, which is um, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13, I'll read to the end of the chapter, uh, and it reads like this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, and an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, uh, maybe I say this a lot, and if I do, I'm sorry. Um, 
But this is not an easy text to explain. Um, it's, not, it's not a difficult one to understand, but to explain it in such a way that I don't leave you confused, well, that's, um, that's somewhat of a challenge. And on top of that, you know that my tendency is um, to find the dramatic. And um, th- there's, there's several little metaphors within this text. And my temptation as I prepared this, my temptation was to just use one of these metaphors that are, that are more easily explained and at least send you home without confusing you. Um, for instance, uh, if you look at verse 14, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Did you know that that is a quote? That's a quote from Genesis 22. Um, you know what happens in Genesis 22? That's when God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him and sacrifice him. That's a great story. It's a great story. And it's, and it's easily explained and, and at least you could go home without being confused. So I thought, well, maybe I should do that. Or, or, or over here in um, verse 18, uh, we who have fled for refuge. Guys, any Jew would have recognized that language. That's another metaphor. Do you remember it's a reference to the cities of refuge where if you killed somebody unintentionally, you could flee. Oh, it's a great story. It's found in uh, Joshua 20, Numbers 35. We could have done that one, and, and, and everybody could have walked out at least again, maybe not moved, maybe not inspired, but at least they wouldn't be confused. But though those two metaphors are woven into the text, uh, they are not the theme, or at least in my opinion, they are not the theme of the text or the heart of the text. Uh, that is found in a third metaphor in the, in the passage, which you find in verse 19, which is um, the anchor of the soul. That, I think, takes us to the heart of the text. And so, that's where i got to take you to. <laughs> Though it's difficult to explain. I, I hope you'll try to bear with me. When I, when I say difficult, I mean that. And, and as, I, as I read it, I wonder you know, what, you, uh, what you saw in there as I read it. But it's a, it's a great piece of pastoral counsel, if you'll stay with me. All right, Um, first of all, it's very important that you remember what's going on when this book is being written and to whom it's written. It is written to a group of Hebrews, Jews, who are um, converted, living in Rome, to whom um, Abraham would be a conspicuous example of hope and to whom the cities of refuge or fleeing for it would be a conspicuous example of safety. Two commodities that were very rare among this audience because they were being persecuted for having converted to Christianity. They were, they were, they were being persecuted by Roman government and by the Jewish church or Judaism. And so their thought was, okay, to lessen my persecution and pain and suffering and trial, I'll just go back to Judaism. I mean, I've had enough of this. I don't want to be persecuted anymore, and and so I'm going to just throw in the towel. So the author of the book of Hebrews is is playing the role of a pastoral counselor. Um, He's reasoning with them and trying to convince them that that they should persevere that they should not give up hope, that they should not throw in the towel, 
that they should hang on. Now, how does he do that? How does the author go about counseling these people in terms of, I know you're suffering, but the solution is not to throw in the towel. I know you're being persecuted for what you stand for, but you must persevere. How does he go about that? Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is what this text is about. It's counsel. It's pastoral counsel, and I want to show it to you. All right? There's three things that I, that I there, there, three strains or lines of his, um, his reasoning with them as a pastoral counselor. The first one is that he points them to this, to the example or to the, um, the example of Abraham, and which they would know well. He, he, he reminds them of things that God promised to Abraham. Um, and Abraham, of course, was their hero, but he's reminding them of promises that God made to Abraham and how God kept those promises. Uh, two of them, actually. If you look at verse 14, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Those are two things. I will bless you with a son who became Isaac, and I will multiply you. I'll turn you into a great nation, which, of course, w- was Israel. Um, so so the, the, the author is saying, do you remember that? Your hero, do you remember, <clears throat> you remember how God kept his promises with him? And then he says in verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited. Um, guys, it was only after Abraham endured persevered that he obtained the promises. And you've got to do the same thing. Uh, I mean, he says to his audience, you've got to do the same thing. And then in verse 16, he says, you guys make promises. I mean, you swear um, by something greater than themselves. Verse 16. You know, we, we say, I swear on my mother's grave. Um, you swear, and that seems to settle the matter. Then that I'm saying to you, God has sworn too, and that's, that should settle the matter. He, is, um, he appeals, that is, God in, the, in making his promises, uh, in verse 13, appeals to the, to the perfections of his, his own nature. That is, there was nobody available by whom he could swear, like me and you. I mean, we swear by my mother's grave, but God can't swear like that. Because there's nobody greater than he, and so he swears by himself. He swears upon the, the nature of, uh, or the nature of his own character, making a, a commitment to, to Abraham. And for Abraham, it really worked out well. Guys, do you remember that? So that's what you got to do, too. That's his first line, his first strain of counsel to this audience that's about to throw in the towel. Here's the second one. You, you find it in, in verse 17. He talks about, uh, uh, so when God desired to show more con- convincingly to the heirs, um, God is seeking to remove all uncertainty about his purposes for the heirs. Now, who are the heirs? Well, first of all, 
It would be this audience to whom he's writing. Um, anybody that has made the same kind of commitment of faith that Abraham has made is an heir. So not only does it include this audience, it includes this audience. To those heirs, God has also made a promise. What promise did he make to the heirs? Well, it's alluded to in verse 20. Having become a high priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. That is a quote from Psalm 110, uh, verse 4, I think. And he is promising to the heirs a high priest who is eternal. Not like the high priest you guys are used to, you know, the ones that die and you have to replace them. No, I, I, he is promising an eternal high priest. And so that is um, evidence that his purposes with us are not temporary. They're not just for now. They're eternal. So God's, you've got to fix your attention not on your now, but on your future. I know you may be hurting now. But God has an eternal high priest for us because he has eternal purposes for us. <clears throat> now, all of that leads us to this third line, this third piece of counsel, um, which has to do with their present trial, and which I think is really the heart of the text. Um, Speaking, the, the author speaking now about their, their present situation, he points them to this eternal high priest that he just mentioned, that he's mentioned in verse 20. Okay, guys, I got to slow down here because this is, this is the heart of the text and I don't want you to miss at least this much. He uses this metaphor of a, steadfa- a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. See it? The image of an anchor, think about it. The image of an anchor suggests that the Christian life is a ship in a storm. The world is a sea, uh, a, a restless, tempestuous, um, dangerous place. And we are being tossed about by winds, at least these Jews were, to whom he's writing. That's the first part of the image of an anchor. Um, when I was in the ninth grade, my daddy had, had dreamed for a long time of taking his family to Florida for a Christmas vacation. And so when we got out of school, um, early in December, uh, we packed up our car and our family headed to Fort, we, we ended up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for, I don't know, five days or so. We stayed at the Holiday Inn right there on Highway 1, the Federal Highway. And we had a Christmas vacation in Fort Lauderdale. And, and as a part of that vacation, my daddy had bought, um, had bought the, everybody, the, the family, a, a round trip one-day ticket to Bimini. Now, Bimini is a little island off the coast of Fort Lauderdale, about 50 miles off the coast of Fort Lauderdale. And so early one morning, we got on um, this boat and headed to Bimini. Unfortunately, uh, we ran into a storm. 
And, um, and so we, we pressed on to Bimini, and when we got to Bimini, the storm had become so bad that the officials in Bimini would not allow us to dock. So we had to turn around and come back to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Have you ever been seasick? Uh, for the next 24 hours, everyone in my family spent those 24 hours emptying their stomachs of everything that was in them along with everybody else on that boat. Oh, the joy of terra firma. The point is, guys, this passage or this, this setting is not about terra firma. It's about the storm that they find themselves in. His audience is spiritually seasick. And they want to get off this boat. We've had enough. We want to get off. And so this pastor reminds them of the anchor. Guys, you you, you do know what anchors do, don't you? They, They stabilize you. When you drop an anchor, the anchor is dropped so that that which is tossing and rolling about is is stabilized. Um, In the midst of a tempestuous, restless environment, you drop an anchor and it keeps you from being wrecked on the rocks or from going backwards. The anchor is the thing that provides stability in the midst of instability. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that everyone in this room needs one of those things. I I may not know what's going on in your life, but I can assure you, you live in the same world that I live in. And it's like, I went off this boat. I've had enough. And so the author reminds them of an anchor. Now, let me say this quickly. You got to remember, the anchor does not stop the storm. It just provides stability. In the storm. Okay, then. What is the anchor? Well, I think you're going to be tempted to quickly say it's Christ. And I would say I think that's incorrect. I don't think that's right. And I don't think it, I don't think it matches the text. So what is it then? Okay, guys, stay with me and think. Um, folks, an anchor is just as good as what it latches onto. An anchor is just as good as what it bites into. An anchor provides nothing unless it grabs something that's stronger than it is. 
You can drop all the anchors you like. But if they don't grab into something, they don't help you a bit. Guys, I want you to look at verse 19. Uh, Look at what he says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Look, a hope. The anchor, ladies and gentlemen, is a hope. The thing that is both sure and steadfast is our hope. A hope in God's promises, but keep reading, that enters our hope in God's promises, enters into the inner place behind the curtain. The hope enters into the presence of God where that eternal high priest is and the anchor, our hope, sinks into the rock and that which secures the anchor is the anchorage. The anchor is promises made to us, which is consistent with the rest of the text, promises made to us that we take and sink them into this everlasting high priest. The rock that we sung about, we sang about just a few minutes ago. Gang, the anchor or our hope in God's promises um, made to us by a God who cannot lie, um, which are made sure and steadfast when they enter behind the curtain. where the eternal high priest after the the order of Melchizedek is. And when we take those promises and we sing them into Christ who is our anchorage. The anchor or the promises bite into Christ All of those promises made to us by a God who cannot lie are fulfilled and consummated in the person and the work of the high priest who is everlasting and who sits in the presence of God on our behalf at this moment. That's what the text means. In the midst of a wobbly, dangerous, tempestuous, painful existence, We grab hold of promises and we sink them into the one who is the very consummation of all those promises. Ladies and gentlemen, anchors will do you no good 
until they bite into something. Until they bite into something stronger than the anchor itself. Guys, this is critical counsel for us. For all of us. Guys, the promises of God are the things that stabilize us. I mean, what is it that is unraveling in your life? Is it professional? Is it familial? Is it physical? Is it marital? Is it financial that's made things kind of wobbly and uncertain and... And what is it that provides, doesn't take the storm away, but it provides for a bit of stability in the midst of the storm? Here it is. It is promises made to us by a God who cannot lie that we take and sink them into the one who is the very consummation of all of those promises. The high priest who is eternal. Folks, um, Christian hope um, that is believing God made promises is an anchor for the soul when when that belief in those promises is placed in Christ. God has provided both the anchor promises, the hope, and he has provided the anchorage, and he has gone to extremes to assure us of the certainty of these things. Did you notice in the text, um, swearing by himself, making an oath, providing an eternal high priest. Why? Why? Why has he done all that? So that we, the heirs, will rest in the certainty of his promises while in the midst of the storm in spite of the storm. The thing that is that has caused you to lose that stability underneath you. Guys, <laughs> as hard as this passage is to explain, this is a passage pastoral richness and the pastor is not the author of Hebrews it's not me it's God himself and do you know what he's done He's looked at his people who are the heirs of his promise and says, I know that you live in a storm. 
And I know that in the midst of that storm, there are all kinds of temptations for you to just turn your back on this. You know, um, I was in a Skype interview. That is, I was interviewing somebody. I wasn't being interviewed. Uh, I was interviewing somebody, and a and, um, kid raised in the church, and sharp kid. I mean, he's 30 now, but, but he, you know, taught all the Bible studies in the church and, you know, did all the good stuff, and everybody in the church would say, you know, that's a fine boy right there, that's a good boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he went off to college. And he said, and I'm going to quote him. <laughs> he said, to hell with all that. And he started drinking. And it was so serious. His drinking got so serious that even people on his dorm floor at a state university would try to keep him in his room so that they could get they could have a sober night. Because in the midst of that storm, he said, So God, the heavenly pastoral counselor, looks at his people and says, Getting seasick, are you? You want off this boat? And here's an anchor for your soul. By the way, could I give you just a, a smidgen of the anchor? This is just a part of it. I have died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. That's Colossians 3.3, 3, where it says you have died. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, take that promise and go Think it. Into the eternal high priest. And then we get a little stability. In the midst of the storm, again, ladies and gentlemen, the anchor doesn't take the storm away. It just provides stability in the storm. Guys, we're all in a storm. And he's offering us an anchor. Take it. Oh, there's plenty to fear. But there isn't any danger. Listen to me. If you're in a situation where you have no answers... I want to assure you that the promises are still true. Guys, we are much tossed. That's the image of this text, the anchor of the soul thing. We are much tossed, but we are quite safe. Why? Because of two things. God's promise 
and our eternal high priest. Both of those things are said to be immutable, unchangeable. And then the cherry on the top, is that those promises are made by a God who cannot lie. Gang, when you, when you, when you try to grapple with this text, these words like certainty and, and oath and sure and steadfast, those all stand out. And they're supposed to. They're supposed to stand out for a people who live in the midst of a tempestuous storm. <clears throat> Guys, um, I want to read you. And if you've still got your Bibles open, I, I, think, I think it'll make a whole lot more sense now. I want to read you why God did all this. Okay? Look at it. Verse 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs, to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Guys, did you know that God had that kind of concern for you? Look at those words. Unchangeable, purpose, guaranteed, oath, impossible to lie. So that we would have strong encouragement. For what? To hold on. Guys, here's the point in a sentence. I will persevere if I have this hope. The hope being that God will keep his promises consummated in Christ. That is the anchor. And that's the thing into which the anchor is sunk. The promises of God sunk into Christ. The hope, look, look, look at the language. The hope is set before you. Guys, it's set before you too. Now lay hold of it. I invite you to lay hold of the promises of God and sink them. Sink your hopes into Christ. 
Ladies and gentlemen, heaven is useless if Christ be not there. But he is there. And that's what verse 20 tells you. He is there eternally. Take all of God's promises and sink them into the eternal high priest. And that's the way, ladies and gentlemen, that in the midst of the storm, we'll hold on. Apart from Christ, this is what you're left with. Hopelessness. Our Father, I pray that you will uh, uh, make up for my lack of abilities to clarify and that you will take this rich text and that you will um, use it as the strong encouragements for your people that they might see just how concerned our Heavenly Father is that we hang on in the midst of the storm. Our Father, um, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see him in all of his beauty, all of his crucified, resurrected, ascended beauty? And would you open their eyes to see it like you have done ours? Father, um, thank you for saving us. As we leave here this morning, we want to go out into a place and represent you well. Grant us grace to do that. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.